of Jesus Christ. And we're going to look, be looking at uh, his prayer life and also his purpose. He, he in, in his authority, uh, even though he had authority over all illnesses as well as demonic oppression, we know that with that, um, he still went to prayer consistently and met with the Father. And in that prayer, it further prepared him uh, to continue to fulfill his purpose. And, uh, and so uh, may we be encouraged this morning in and through that and uh, know that he has, again, a purpose for each and every one of us being here this morning. So let's read. We're, gonna, we're in Mark chapter 1, and uh, beginning in verse 21 is where we're picking up from a couple weeks ago, and we'll, and we'll read through uh, to verse 28. So verse 21, And they went to Capernaum, Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? And I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere, throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Heavenly Father, as we just read those words, Lord, that were breathed out by you, Lord, for our benefit. Lord, they testify of what is true. And as we consider what was accomplished in this moment, Lord, I pray that we too would be witnesses of God's amazing work, of your amazing work in our lives. Lord, not only for salvation, Lord, but Lord, in everyday life to, to bless us in such a way, Lord, that we ourselves are amazed, we are astonished. Lord, we can't help but to spread your fame and who you are throughout the ends of the earth. But beginning with the with the circle of influence that you have given to us. And so, Father, I pray, Lord, that we would keep our eyes fixed on you, that as we study your word, Lord, that we would consider who you are and what you desire in our lives and how much you love us. And so, Father, we commit this time into your hands, Lord. We ask your blessing, your anointing, Lord. Give us understanding, teach us all things, and lead us into all truth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus' authority, prayer, and purpose is what we're going to look at this morning. We'll learn about Jesus' authority, and we'll see how it is that it's revealed through his teaching. This is uh, one of his first teachings that he does in Capernaum, and, and this is in the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. 
But his authority is revealed through his teaching, and it's apparent by what we read. We'll also see his authority over demons and sickness, and we will learn about Jesus' prayer life, and we will get a clear understanding of what his mission was. As I said a couple weeks ago, Jesus knew exactly what he was sent to accomplish because he knew who he was and why he was sent to accomplish the Father's will. There's no doubt about it in his own mind. He wasn't confused. He wasn't searching for the answer to the purpose of his life. He knew exactly why it was that he walked the face of this earth. Knowing this makes the difference as far as our lives are concerned. I went over this a couple weeks ago. It's important for us to know that our purpose is, is to bring glory to the creator of, our, of us, our, of our lives, the one who formed us in our mother's womb. And I had asked you this question. Do you know the purpose of your life? You see, when you, you can answer that question, most, if not all, of the questions you have in your life begin to be answered one by one. The despondency that you have because you aren't fulfilled and gratified and content with the things of this life, well, they pretty much fade away. And you begin to focus on the one true prize, and that is Jesus Christ. The world, in a very real way, begins to fade and the only thing that matters is Jesus Christ and one day seeing him in all of his glory. So I had asked you, do you know the purpose of your life? And it's important to know because in Christ, knowing your purpose gives us the proper perspective of life and how to handle ourselves in the midst of all of its events, no matter what it is. When we know the purpose of our life and we have the proper perspective interestingly enough as we read God's word we begin to understand also we have that wisdom that discernment and we know how to handle ourselves in the midst of anything that comes our way now you can answer that question as I said in a number of ways but there's only one right answer and I remind you of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, which says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The, the true answer is not found in your neighbor or in the world's philosophy or in the most successful men of the world. The answer is found in the Bible. It is the very word of God. It is truth. It is reality. It is not objective. It is absolute. The truth will indeed set you free. John chapter 8 verses 31 and 32 says, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. There is a sense of freedom. There is a sense of humble confidence when you not only know Jesus salvifically, that is, you are saved by grace through faith in him alone. But there is this sense of humble confidence when you come to know and understand God's word and apply it to your life in a wise way. Wisdom is 
rightly approved or rightly applied truth. That is what wisdom is. Even the way you speak, what you speak. You know what, you know what happens is it's transformed. It's a humble confidence in the authority not of you or of what you've come to know through experiences in your life, but it's a, a humble confidence in the authority of Jesus Christ in your life personally. Prayer has a special place in your life. Because you desire to spend more time with the Lord. It's not a chore. It's not a burden. It's something that you long for. You get to love the word and you get to love the fellowship of the saints. As we'll see, Jesus exercises his authority over demons. I thank God that he has authority over demons. Because demons are here to do the will of their father, Satan. And he comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus came to give life in that more abundantly. And he has authority over demons. Jesus, as we'll see, he performs miracles, healings, with various diseases that are known to mankind. But he also exercises the, the demons, the demonic forces, and, and he casts them out of people. We'll see that. And Jesus gives himself to prayer and acts on his purpose to fulfill the Father's will. All of which we will see points us to the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. Who came to die on the cross as we were reminded today in communion. And the power of God is demonstrated through the love that he shown to us through the cross, through his son, Jesus Christ. My hope is that we see this for what it is and learn from it, applying what we learn. And we are further established in our faith in Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. So let's begin with Jesus' authority. Verse 21 once more said, And they went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, that is on Saturday, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. You know, Capernaum is a town located, as I said earlier, on the northern shores of the Sea of Galilee. Its views are spectacular. You see... Uh, a whole spectrum of, you see the, the, the Sea of Galilee, you see um, Tiberias uh, to your right if you're looking toward the Sea of Galilee. And the Jordan is directly south from Capernaum. It's, it's beautiful, the whole area is, is amazing. And we know that today you can visit the ruins of not only the synagogue, but get this, you can also visit the foundation, and you can see the walls and how it is that Peter's house was set up. Isn't that amazing? You can see that today. And I saw it with my very own eyes. Entering into the same synagogue that we're speaking of this morning. 
Some of you went on that trip and you were blessed to experience that. And I would hope that as many of you as possibly can would go to Israel and see this for yourselves. But Capernaum, this is where Jesus was. The home of Peter, by the way, is only about, and I'm kind of just thinking from what I had experienced, I know that there are, there's information that says exactly how far it was from the synagogue to Peter's home, but I'm thinking about 75 yards, wouldn't you say? Yeah, across the street, yeah, but it's just, it's down the hill, right, a little bit. The synagogue sits up on the hill a little bit more, and you come down, you walk down, and you come to Simon Peter's home. As we consider what happened here, so Jesus came to synagogue on that Saturday, and he was invited to come and speak, to teach. Now, we need to understand that not just any guest that came into synagogue on that day was able to teach, but it was only the ones who were able to teach. And so it's implied by him being invited to teach that they already knew that he was able to teach and they invited him to do so. Of course, his ability to teach is an understatement, right? They began to teach. And as he taught, he taught with great authority. As no other teacher would teach. You see, in that day, it was customary for the teacher to lack confidence, to not teach with authority. What the teachers of that day would do, would, they would come up and, and they would basically, they, you could say that if they had paper and a pen, they would, they would prepare this way. It would be quote after quote after quote after quote after quote after quote. That's what it would be. Well, so-and-so said this, certain rabbis said this, and, and it would all be by the authority of the rabbis and not their own understanding. You see, one teaches with authority. The Word of God, when we understand it clearly, and we teach it in context, that is the authority that the Lord gives to every single person who has the Spirit of God and is called to teach. We're not called to teach our own message as pastors. We're not here to be motivational speakers. We're not here to tickle your ear and to have you walk away just feeling good and being further entrenched and supported in whatever it is that you want to do in life. No, we're called to speak the truth. And sometimes the truth hurts, but it should bring conviction. As that conviction is experienced, it should lead us to repentance, to confession and repentance. But Jesus' authority was absolute. And they were astonished. I'm sure they marveled. They, they were amazed because they hadn't seen that before. He is the author of what he was teaching. But Jesus taught, as 
I said, you know, normally teachers would, would teach just quoting rabbi after rabbi after rabbi. No authority whatsoever in what they were saying. Jesus taught without quoting anyone. Why? Because he is the word. He is eternal. In John 1.1 it says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. In verse 14 it says, And the word became flesh, and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. That is who was standing before him. What an amazing moment. These people had never seen anything like it. Jesus had perfect understanding of what he was teaching. A person who has a good understanding of what the word says will also have. See, it's not just the pastor, but it's everyone who gives themselves to study the word of God that this should be true of. Otherwise, it wouldn't say, study to show yourself approved to God, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly dividing or handling the word of truth. We are to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We ought to know the purpose of the scriptures. And we ought to be students. Because a person who has good understanding of what the word says will also have confidence and an express faith that is unshakable, immovable. You know, I was having a conversation with Tim last night and, and we were talking about when, when the seed of God's word lands on fertile soil... What it does is it produces fruit. Fruit that reflects the spirit of God. The truth of God's word. And as we express a faith, what that, what that is, is revealing is that your heart is tender. It is fertile soil. For that seed to fall and for it to grow and for it to produce fruit worthy of repentance that is a reflection of the salvation and the spirits that is leading us in all truth. Glorifying the Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we are truly unshakable. We are immovable. If when the seed drops into your heart, you are troubled by the cares of the world, or it is easily snatched up by Satan whether it be doubt or confusion or anything else, know that your heart is not good soil upon which the seed of God is falling upon. And how is it that we can be in that place to where our hearts are good soil? Well, the one thing that pleases God is faith. Just a little bit more faith. Just a little bit more faith. Act on that faith. See that God is faithful. And, and see how it is that you, your, your heart begins to be softened. Softened to the Lord in his word. And at some point, 
you too can have that heart to wear. Because God's word is poured in. It does its effective work. And like I said, you are unshakable. You are immovable. Given whatever comes your way and you're faced with, it doesn't matter. You're solid in Christ. I also want to turn your attention to what happened with Jesus. Because this is, this is also what happens with us. Or, else, or, or it can. As soon as Jesus taught, and just as the focus was on his authority and his teaching, the people being filled with amazing amazement. This is what happened. Verse 23, and immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. <laughs> this was in church. Who let him in? Security. What, what happened? He did a man, he was in synagogue with an unclean spirit. And this is what happened. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus said, Come on in. We accept you just as you are. You're good. He didn't say that, did he? What did he do? Says, but Jesus rebuked him. He rebuked him. Saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. You know, this is a historical fact. It is recorded in this event. Jesus taught, and then a man that was demonically possessed spoke and interrupted what Jesus was teaching. The work of the devil is known because, number one, it detracts, it detracts from the word, and number two, it confuses it takes our attention away from the word, whether it be to a person or an event or whatever, whatever else. If it detracts from the person of Jesus Christ, if it brings confusion and doubt and division away from him, then it is not of God. It's very discernible. It's very easy to see when it is the work of of God and when it is the work of Satan. Church, listen to what I'm telling you right now. Please listen to what I'm telling you right now. This is how it is that the word can be snatched up just like that. Because someone can come in. Or something can enter into your mind. A thought that can take you away from Jesus Christ and his word. Learn to be discerning brothers and sisters. Learn to be discerning and act on that in a way that is fitting for a child of God. You know what that does is it proves who indeed you love most. Is it Jesus Christ or is it something else, whatever it is? Do you lack 
discernment and wisdom. Perhaps it's because you're really young in the faith or simply you're not of him. The reason the men in the synagogue were astonished was because they did not know who Jesus was. And they did not know how it was that he could teach with such authority. But get this, they didn't know, but guess who did? This demon did. He knew exactly who Jesus was. You see, Satan knows who Jesus is, and so do his demons, and they know his authority. That is why what they'll try and do is distract you and take you away from you submitting and yielding to the authority of Jesus Christ. Because if you're not yielded to the authority of Jesus Christ, you're yielded to the authority of Satan. There's no in-between. There is nothing in-between. Jesus said, you're either for me or you're against me. That's why even afterwards when I... When we teach, when I teach from this pulpit and and I lay everything out, it brings us to a point of where it forces us to choose. We either believe God at his word and we receive or we reject. There's no in between. May his goodness draw us unto himself. May his kindness be seen May his grace be acknowledged. May we express a faith in Jesus Christ. You see, the demon-possessed man, he stated what was true, that he was Jesus of Nazareth, that he was the Holy One of God. And he even asked this, are you here to destroy us? You see, Satan and his demons are not omniscient. They're not all-knowing. And they were asking if it was time for their judgment. Is this a time where you're going to cast us into the lake of fire, according to Revelation chapter 19? Was it a time of judgment for us? Because they know that at any given time, God can bring judgment because he has that authority. But it wasn't time for that. But they did testify of who Jesus is. Jesus exercised his authority over them by casting out the unclean spirit from the man in a dramatic manner. The man fell to the ground. He convulsed, and that demonic spirit came out of him. He was crying out in a loud voice. That, that, would, be, that would freak some people out, right? It's like, whoa, what, what just happened? People witnessing were all amazed, as we would all be amazed if something like that were to take place. They considered all, and not only was Jesus teaching with authority, but as they saw, as they witnessed, he also had authority over unclean spirits, commanding them and in, in witnessing that they obeyed him. And of course, at that moment, Jesus' fame uh, spread throughout the whole region of the Sea of Galilee, that whole area. I mean, I, I imagine the, 
the people there in synagogue, immediately they left and they were off telling as many people as they possibly could what they had just experienced, what they had witnessed. Verse 29, and immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with the fever, and immediately they told him about her, and he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. So there's that word again, immediately, immediately after synagogue, he went to Simon Peter's house, and, and what he found at Simon Peter's house is, is a sick mother-in-law of Peter. So Peter was married, so it states. Uh, witnesses of that were Andrew, James, and John, and Jesus as he came. But Jesus, upon hearing that Peter's mother-in-law was sick, she had fever. It was a serious fever that she was experiencing. Wasted no time and immediately, upon being told about her, went to her, held her hand, and healed her. How did she respond? That's an important point that we ought to consider. The way she responded is how you and I should respond when we are blessed in many, the many different ways in which we're blessed by getting up and serving the Lord. That's exactly what she did. She, she got up and immediately, having been the recipient of God's grace, His mercy, His blessings, she immediately responded by serving Him. In serving the others. But in the meantime, as the sun came down on that Saturday, it was at that point lawful for them to move about. And people in that moment were so filled with amazement, telling everyone this. This Jesus of Nazareth, he has, his teaching is with authority. And not only does he teach with authority, but he casts out this demon from this demon-possessed man. He was demonically possessed. He cast him out. And word got out, and people came. It says the whole city came to him. It says that, as he cast out demons, he would not permit them to speak because they knew him. You see, it wasn't time to reveal that Jesus was the Son of God. But let me ask you this. Do you understand, do you know the purpose of the miracles that Jesus performed? What's the purpose? It's very simple. It's to prove that he is the Son of God.
Not only did Jesus cast out demons and heal many who were sick with various diseases, but we also read that he specifically healed a man who was a leper. And we're going to skip over a few verses and we'll come back to them. But I want to continue in verse 40. Which says, And the leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. This man was a, a leprous man. And he, and he came into to, uh, the presence, the very presence of Jesus, kneeling before him and begging him, if you will, heal me, cleanse me. This man expressed a belief after having been told what Jesus had done, performing healing after healing after healing and casting out demons. He came to Jesus not with the rest of the crowd because this was not socially accepted and was not in line with the law of Moses. He was a man who was isolated, shunned from society, a man who was on the outskirts, literally living outside of town. But he came to Jesus, and this is a picture of when we're in our sin. How it is that there are things that cast us out, you could say, we are outcasts of society. We have been shunned by everyone else. But the only one that we can approach is waiting for us to approach him with complete and perfect faith. That is perfect faith in him. If you will... Cleanse me. And that is Jesus Christ. Leprosy is a picture of sin. It's a picture of death. We've described it here several times before. A disease that begins with some skin discoloration. Eventually, that discoloration turning white and spreading throughout the whole body. One begins to lose hair. Um, the hair on our heads, uh, our eyebrows, our eyelashes, arms, everywhere. It just hair just starts to fall off. And don't worry, all of you who have no hair, that's not a sign of, of leprosy today, you know, if you're bald. But it was a devastating disease. Absolutely devastating. Because after the hair starts to fall off, then what happens is the, the fingernails and the toenails begin to rot and fall off. The joints begin to rot. Imagine this. It's like, it, it's a slow decay. It, it's the body dying little by little. The joints, you can imagine the joints in one's Hands begin to rot to the point to where fingers start to fall off, toes start to fall off. 
And then it gets worse. Because then teeth start to fall out. The nose begins to shrivel up. The eyes begin to go into one skull and also rot out. The palate recedes and the person is left dying just slowly, slowly. It's a slow wasting away that is horrible as a person suffers a slow, painful, isolated death. In the way it was described, this man was actually in the advanced stages of leprosy. And lepers were not allowed to come around anyone else. And yet, if you notice with me, in verse 41 it says that Jesus was moved with pity and he stretched out his hand and touched him. It doesn't matter where you find yourself as far as sin is concerned. Jesus is desiring. He, he, had, he already demonstrated his pity on us. He's, he was sent to the cross to die on your behalf. And he's constantly with a, a, an outstretched hand. Desiring that you would come just as this leprous man did. Just believing. Believing that you can be cleansed. Are you desperate? You see, this man knew his situation. Do you know your situation? Do you recognize it? I pray and I hope that you recognize your situation. Because it was in this moment that this man, in just utter desperation, came to Jesus and he told him, If you will, You can make me clean. Men, we're full of pride. We, we, at some point, we think we know it all. We think we have it all figured out. Men, Men, I have to tell you, unless you come to the place of humbling yourselves... In subjecting yourself and submitting yourself and yielding yourself to the authority of Jesus Christ, your wisdom is of nothing, no value whatsoever. The only hope that we have this side of heaven is surrendering our very lives to Jesus Christ and learning how to follow him each and every day. This man was desperate. I pray that we are desperate for Christ. Jesus may have healed many other diseases as we consider that, but he hadn't up to this point, he hadn't cleansed someone of leprosy. As I said, a leper would not have been able to gather with the rest of the people at Peter's door to be healed by Jesus. It would not have been allowed by the people or the law. But this man had this faith and he had this humility and he came to Jesus and he told him, if if you will, you can make me clean. And this man, as we see here, was indeed made clean. Jesus having pity on him. But I need to say that leprosy was not what Jesus ultimately desired for this man to be cleansed from. 
the bigger issue and the greatest issue that needed to be taken care of in this man's life is sin. You see, God wishes that none should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Sometimes we're seeking for a a physical healing, and really what God desires is a healing of the soul, a healing of the person in its entirety. And perhaps He is using a sickness, a disease, something of that sort, difficult circumstances, for you to get to the point to where you recognize your situation and yourself and you're willing to humble yourself and come to Jesus and ask him the very same thing. If you will, please cleanse me. Because God desires above all that we would believe in Jesus Christ and repent of our sins. We've gone through that in this very chapter. We know that this was what Jesus Christ was proclaiming. The man was indeed healed and he was told by Jesus to follow protocol according to the law of Moses. Go present yourself to the priests and and show them that you have indeed been cleansed. You've been healed. And, and, And by doing so, you would... Uh, in a very formal way, be accepted back into society. But Jesus also told him not to say anything. But he didn't listen. And he told everyone, listen, I I know that some commentaries can say, well, he wasn't, by our disobedience, we can kind of mess up God's plans. Let me tell you something. We We don't have that place. We can mess up God's plans in our lives. All right? We cannot mess up his overall plans. <laughs> we, can't. we don't have that place. Thank God we can't do that, right? Because even though, because of this, he, he is not able to enter a town and teach openly, Jesus, he continued to teach. And what happened was, instead of him, him going to them, this is what happened. Everyone went to him outside of town. That's what was happening. Because no one can thwart God's plan, not even an excited man who was healed of his disease. The expression of Jesus' authority had a purpose, and it was to show that he is God, and he's able to not only heal the body, but more importantly, heal the very heart of man. But we also, as we come back up to verse 35, we see Jesus' prayer and purpose. It says, in rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next, to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons." I remind you that the previous day was a long day. I'm sure Jesus was tired. Physically, he was tired. Perhaps even mentally, he was tired. He had spent the day at, the synagogue, at synagogue and at Peter's home, but we know that he also, well into the evening, he, he was busy healing diseases of various kinds and casting out demons. But what did Jesus prioritize the next day? Before the sun even came out. Prayer. Prayer. Right now, many of us perhaps are being convicted. 
just in acknowledging that. But I'm so tired. Just one more hour. You know, it's Saturday. I've had a long week. Friday was just long, horrible, and I deserve some more sleep. To sleep in, you know. The kids had me up till 1, 2 o'clock in the morning. Jesus prioritized prayer. Are we not his disciples as Christians? Shouldn't we not follow his example? We don't know what Jesus prayed, but we do know this. Number one, Jesus got up in the morning while it was still dark. Number two, Jesus left and he went to a desolate place. Three, Jesus prayed in that place alone. With the Father. It, it was a deliberate act to get away from distractions and alone with the Father. There are times, and my wife knows, to where it's like, okay, I waited too long. I'm spending time with the Lord. And, and, I, and, and I, I know once the house starts going, I, I need to go a little farther. I need to depart from the presence of busyness in the home. And, and I, t- I need to go into the garage. And in the garage, I close it, and it's just heaven. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but I do, I'll go in there. It's my desolate place. It's my place where I can just open up God's word and just spend time with the Lord and finish what perhaps I started out. It's a deliberate act to get away just as Jesus did, away from the distractions and alone with the Father. Hey, listen. Was Jesus weak? The answer answer is no. He wasn't going to the Father because he was weak or in need of anything or because he was confused about something and he sought the Father for clarification. I'm kind of confused. I I don't know what what is meant by this. No, (laughs) It wasn't any of that, right? Listen, spending time with the Lord isn't just petitioning him and, and, uh, and asking for stuff. We should meet with the Lord and just recognize him for who he is. And when we come into that time of prayer, I would encourage you to read God's word. Like just read through like a portion of scripture and then start praying. Just start praying because what happens is, is our heart needs to align with God's heart according to God's word. And we know that his spirit will lead us in all truth. And so therefore, it's that time spent in communion and fellowship with the Lord in such a way that we walk away knowing that we have spent time with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It is awesome. awesome. It is refreshing. It is a time also where sometimes he rebukes us. He Because we're convicted of something that's revealed to us. And we ask him for forgiveness as we confess those sins to him. Now Jesus was spending time with the Father because it was what he desired above all. You see, our time of prayer reveals just how much we long to be with God in all of his glory. I can't wait to be with you, Lord. But I get to spend this time with you right now. 
He knew the Father's will and he desired to commune with him and prepare himself for when he would engage the people that day by first spending time with the Father. There is nothing that will align our perspective with God's outside of reading God's word and spending time with him in prayer. In Simon, verse 36, and those who were with him searched for him and they found him and said to him, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went throughout all Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. It, you know, it's, it's obvious that Jesus snuck out of the house without anyone knowing, right? Because they didn't know where he was. Peter, Andrew, James, John, no, no one knew. And it's implied here that everyone showed up at Peter's house first thing in the morning. Where's Jesus? We have more people to, to be healed. And so they went and they found him. They found him praying. You see, Jesus' disciples will learn where they can find Jesus when not with people. Spending time with the Father in prayer. That should be what we're known for also. That we are a people of prayer that demonstrate a trust in Jesus Christ. And we spend time in prayer, lots of time in prayer. That's why I believe, biblically speaking, our men's prayer should be packed out. Our women's prayer should be packed out. Sunday mornings at 8 o'clock over in the youth building should be packed out. Why? Because we desire to spend time with the Lord and, and prepare our hearts for whatever it is that the Lord has for us as we come and worship Him. You see, our daily lives are an, a, should be an act of worship, of offering to Him these living sacrifices. As we see here also, Jesus was not excited or drawn to heal more people for the sake of fame. I remind you of the fact that Satan had tempted Jesus by offering him the kingdoms of the world and their glory, if only he would worship Satan. That's found in Matthew chapter 4, verses 8 through 11. But he wasn't seeking the admiration of people or worldly fame as it pertained to healing these, these, uh, these sicknesses, these diseases, and casting out demons. It had nothing to do with that. It had to do with signifying and proving that he was a son of God. To lead them to salvation. That was his, his whole purpose for that. He was there to offer the remedy for the inward death of the soul. His purpose was to proclaim the gospel of God and declare the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. As it says in Mark chapter 1 verse 15. You see Jesus' purpose he wasn't sent by the Father to bring physical healing upon anyone. That only served to show that he is God. But more importantly, that he's not only able to heal the body, but more importantly, heal the soul from the condemnation of sin. But you've got to know your condition. You have to come to that place to where you know if you're not in Christ... You're dead already and you're, you're, you're condemned and, and you remain in your trespasses. He knew his purpose and it was his desire to fulfill it. And we know that he did. 
In closing, I want to say this. His desire is the same today. It's no different. He doesn't wish that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. His desire is that you would acknowledge your condition. That you would confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Because if we do so, we get to that place to where we recognize again where we are in our sin and confess that to the Lord and believe on Jesus Christ as the one whom the Father has sent to live a perfect life, to die on the cross. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. He sent him to die on the cross. That was his whole purpose. He fulfilled it. And so therefore declare to the whole world, this is the good news. Jesus Christ has died on the cross to atone for your sins. He declared victory over sin. And he declared victory over the grave as he was resurrected from the grave. And after 40 days of appearing to his disciples and many others, he ascended and today sits at the right hand of the Father. Do you believe that? And once saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ, I pray that you would be like that disobedient leper, like others who, who spread throughout the whole area, just who Jesus Christ is, and invite them to see and taste and know how good he is. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross on our behalf. I pray, Lord, if there's anyone here who does not know you as Lord and Savior, Lord, that, that they would recognize, just as I remember that moment when I recognized my condition, knowing that as I remained in my sin, that I was eternally condemned and one day would be in the, in the, the burning and ever just the place of, of eternal suffering, a place called hell, Lord, that I would be, I was destined, Lord, to go there if I did not confess my sins to you and, and, and turn away from them and cry out to you, believing on Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Lord, I pray that we would all recognize, Lord, our inability to save ourselves. As Jesus said, I am the way, and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And if we confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. I pray, Lord, that at this very moment, Lord, there'd be broken hearts, Lord, just convicted deeply. Father, as they recognize that there's only one Savior, and his name is Jesus Christ, and they can cry out to him and ask, Lord, Lord, please save me. Save me if you will. And we know that you will. For that is what you desire. I pray for the church, Lord, that we would not lose, Lord, that amazement and, and Lord, that adoration of the one who extended his grace toward us. That we would, too, run to others, Lord, and tell them just how good you are and, and tell them about the good news of Jesus Christ. And Lord, perhaps be used to lead someone to salvation. So, Father, bless 
your church. Bless this time together. May it truly be glorifying to you in this day that you have entrusted to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.